Hello, ladies and ladies and gentlemen. Hello, it's me, Jake. It's episode 187. I know the episode number. And uh, Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. I'm not part of the war on Christmas. I'm, I'm part of the war for Christmas, I think. I'm not against anyone, though, in that war. Oh, my God. It's what kind of a weird future we headed into. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I don't think any of us are sure. But one thing I'm sure of is this week's episode is a good one. Uh, I'm going to be talking to my friend, Dr. Chris Ryan, my new, I should say, I shouldn't say new friend because I've known him for a year now. Uh, met him around last Christmas time out in the comedy club where a lot of good things can happen. So come see me in the comedy club. Come to Tacoma. New Year's weekend, uh, so that's going to be New Year's Eve plus the two nights before at Tacoma Comedy Club, and that's uh, that's the end of this 2016 year. And then 2017, I know I'm coming to Indianapolis in January. That's all I can tell you. It's not even on my website yet. I'm announcing it here. Go to Morty's in Indianapolis. Come see me the uh, end of January. I'm not. I don't know what I'm going to be doing in between those two things, but I, I hope it's sexual. Um, hey, this is a good time. This is a long conversation. So Dr. Chris came over. We had this talk. It was. It's now been a week or so. I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to see him on Christmas. I think he might come over on Christmas Day to eat some delicious New Orleans num-nums here at our house. But that's you don't need to know that. Well, I don't know. What are you doing Christmas? I hope it's something good. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're enjoying your life. I hope this year is uh has been a good one for you i do get politically but a lot of people are freaked out we're gonna be fine we're all in this together we're gonna keep an eye on each other every everything is gonna be okay we've we've made what seems like a a kind of a kooky choice but uh, now we're gonna see what happens you know you've, you've we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Or just, well, some of us sit down and throw both legs in at one time. There's a lot of ways to put your pants on, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, we're getting to see, we're going to be getting to see some new ways to put your pants on this 2017. But uh, let's be nice to each other. Let's take care of ourselves. Uh, let's be thankful for what we've got, which is each other. And another beautiful day, unless it's raining. And then, well, fingers crossed for tomorrow. Dr. Chris, Dr. Chris Ryan is here. I'm talking to him. He wrote uh, this uh, great book, Sex at Dawn, and he's working on his new book, uh, Civilized to Death, which is a great T-shirt that you can order on his website, Dr. Chris Ryan. Look him up. Look him up on your internet. Your internet and my internet are the same internet. I've been meaning to tell that to you for a while because I think, I think some people think that uh, I've got a better internet than them, but I don't. It's the same one. It's the same one. We're sharing the same one. And that's the good news. So get out there on the same internet I'm using and uh, find Dr. Chris Ryan. Buy one of his t-shirts. Tweet at him. Facebook. I don't know all the things you know how to do, but whatever they are, get ready to do them. Not, well, you got you got a little more than an hour because this is a conversation. But then after that, do all those things. All right. Here we go.
I'm I'm the host, but you're the host. Oh, are we going to co-release this? Well, we don't have to, but we well, can. We you can That's have good. it. I mean, you, why not? Let's co-release. Okay. It'll be like a simultaneous orgasm. Mm. Co-release, baby. It'll be less like that than I wish. <laughs> um, but uh, so you were talking about what we were talking about? Ding dong, ching chong? On Colbert. Yeah, that and, he did that Chinese character, which oh, now no. it's kind of unbelievable that he got away with that. He did it all the time. Well, you can't do... I, w I was in Bloomington earlier this year, and the guy who owned the club said, oh, you're the first comic from your generation who didn't come in and have a voice where he did a Chinese, or sort of borderline racist Chinese voice. And it's like, I remember having a joke in my act where I, I had gone to Hong Kong, and I was making a joke about an, an actual interaction that happened with the, with the waiter, but it... it it didn't seem racist at the time, but I, but I get, I think the standards of what is racist has changed a little. Yeah. Am I wrong? I think so. No, I think you're not wrong. But my thing is also it's uh, intent. It's not just uh, right. It's not just language. Well, and there are accents. So why are some accents cool to do and, and others are racist? I, I don't get it. I, I don't. I'm not. Sure. They keep changing the rules too on what's yeah. cool, what you're allowed to do. Right. Like. Everybody can do like a stick up the butt white guy. Right. That's fair fair game all right. around. But I don't think you and you and I can do any kind of uh, African American sort of accent. You weren't even sure what to say. Though, I don't even you? know what you to call it. We you can't do a say black brother accent. Black accent. <laughs> and you can't do. I don't think you can do the gay voice anymore. You can't do that if you're if you're doing a, a gay. Uh, so you're talking about it makes it hard for a comic because then you're like doing a dialogue and you're like okay so here's the gay character but I can't do any effeminate like voice I can't like do the limp wrist I can't how do you signal to your audience who the characters are well you're not allowed to you're, you're not, not allowed, allowed to. to there's no signaling <laughs> there's you're no not signaling at all that's what we're not allowed to signal anything we're allowed to yeah. say things but then if you say things then you got to be accountable for the things that you I don't know eventually it's going to be a very coded sort of sign like you go to a comedy show and all It'll just be little, yeah. tiny, very subtle signals that only some people will be able to enjoy. Are there comics who are just like, don't give a shit? Like, are there people today that you know of? I mean, does Doug Stanhope give a shit? Doug Stanhope does not give a shit. I don't shit. think he gives a shit no, about he does not anything, give a shit. does he? But I mean, does he get like disinvited? Is he allowed to go to these conventional I think he's disinvited gigs? from people who don't get his thing. But, but he also, I mean, the funny thing to me is just to, I, I think Doug is great, and, and I, I'm not as super familiar with him right now to be able to talk about it. But back in the day, you know, when, when it was Andrew Dice Clay and the things right. that he was saying, I mean, a lot of the things that he was saying back then were, were kind of like, this is some homophobic stuff that this guy oh, said. Oh, yeah, and misogynistic. But, but it was all like, oh, well, it's a joke. But he wasn't saying it was a joke, but it was all kinds of stuff that, like, if I said that, I wouldn't be able to get on the radio yeah. or the or TV again because I would be a jerk because that's not something that I was saying on a regular basis. Because you're but not it, playing that character. Right, but yeah, it's very tricky. Very tricky. Because you don't, I mean, I know your, your stand-up persona isn't the same guy I'm sitting here talking to now, but it's just sort of an amplification. I of feel you, like right? it's what happens if you just let me talk for an hour. And in front of a couple in front hundred of a lot people. of people, yeah. yeah. So I feel like it is who I am. But it's also, like, we would, 
people would behave differently. If you have to keep everybody's attention and keep thinking of the next thing to say right. and sort of act like it's a conversation in front of a, yeah. a few hundred people for an hour, you, you kind of become slightly different. So I think it's organic, but it's, yeah. I get what you're saying. It's not, that's not but the way But some comics are playing a role. Like Andrew Dice Clay isn't like that when you're having dinner with him. So I, I remember he, I was listening to Bill Murray having a conversation with... Um, Who's the guy with the big nose and the long hair? Stern, Howard Stern. <laughs> oh my God! It's a fun. It's a fun. You're doing that. The Jew. The, the Jew. Who's the Jew? This is the way that I want. I'm trying to get more people to do what you did, like when they can't think of a thing to just keep giving. Nose. Give yourself clues, like you're playing a game show with yourself. <laughs> exactly. Well, Casilda does that with me all the time, but she'll be like, "Oh, oh, what's that song by that black guy?" And I'll be like. Not woman, enough. Not woman. enough information. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Really. Too many black guys. Yeah, a lot of black guys out there singing songs. But uh, there's a really good interview. Someone recommended it to me because you don't get to hear Bill Murray sort of open up very often. I, I listened to this. The, oh, you know what I'm talking Bill about. Murray one. Yes. And he was. I think it was that. Now, now maybe I'm wrong, but he was talking about meeting when he was young, meeting some comic, and. Seeing him on stage, he knew him, he knew him on stage, and then meeting him backstage, and the guy was totally different. And, and it was like, oh wait a minute, you could like, you don't, you can just play a role. You can just come up with a character and go on stage and just be. Actually, I don't think it was Bill Murray because I think who they were talking about was who was the guy who screamed all the time. Kinnison. Kinnison. Yeah. But like Kinnison backstage would just say, hey, yeah, how you doing? And he would talk to you. Well, because yeah. who wants to be around a guy who's screaming all the time? I mean, <laughs> right. I mean even, if it, even if that was the way he wanted to be, people <laughs> right. would go, look, Sam. I so mean, maybe he's playing a role backstage. Maybe that was the real him. I don't know. Well, I think, it, well, yeah, I, I can't speak for him, but I can definitely say that, uh, yeah, you're, you, you're, you're not the same all the time, right? But, you're, but your role, your, your persona isn't a huge departure from your true self. I'm keeping it close to the right. same. Whereas some comics, it is, right? Some comics, it's just a, I mean, you know, Pee Wee Herman or something. You know, that's, he's not out there jerking yeah, off. Yeah, it's a caricature. Well, then you see. I like that you flipped it. Because <laughs> you, you, you made it about he's not the same off stage as he is on stage. Because uh, when he's on stage, he stops jerking off. Yeah, but, yeah. but he's more real. I don't he's think he's stage. jerking off the whole time he's off stage. <laughs> I mean, nobody is, really. <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. Yeah, that would you'd wear it out. I've spent so much time in hotel Jerking rooms. Off. I can tell you. Yeah, well, it's whatever the maximum is. Yeah, but it's you know that's not that much. You you're not going to kill a whole day doing that. No, no, and you know we're both beyond the age now. I imagine where we're sort of experimenting. It's more like get it done and get go on. Get you know. Well, I don't know. You're looking at me like I'm wrong. Well, I was just trying to figure out like, what kind of experiments video. were you running because I... Oh, I, you didn't run experiments? Oh, man. The first five years I was jerking off was all, all training. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in what way? I'm scared. I'm scared to say, tell me more, because this is where, you know, as an attorney, you're supposed to. I'm not an attorney, but uh -huh. you know, they, that that old saw about you only ask the question if you know what the answer is. Right. I so don't know what the answer is right now. Like, uh, what, it's a good thing you, there's not a jury of my peers. Yeah. What do you mean training? You and we'll see well, who's going to prison. Well, I mean, uh, I figured out when I first started doing that. I figured out like, okay. I, I want to I figure out how this works, and I want to be able to control it. Right. Because, 
you know, I was like 15 and, you did, uh, and I realized I, I had sex before I figured out how to jerk off. That's a weird thing. But that anyway, is a weird thing. Yeah. But anyway, so, so for me, it was all like, how close can you get and come back? You know, where is that point of no return? You know, it was, all, it was almost like a tantric kind of thing. Because I realized, mm-hmm. like, having this under control is going to be important going forward. That's a good... I have heard you ha- have that conversation on your podcast before. I love talking about my dick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? But I mean... <laughs> but let's talk about your dick. Enough about my dick. I don't know. But that how's really, your dick these I, days? It's all right. It's one of my... I mean, I don't know. Would I say it's my favorite body part? I don't know about that. I feel like uh, your face, your personal appearance, that's important. And then, but you need some kind of a rudimentary penis. You need the basics. You need to have it be. A rudimentary penis. Well, I mean, like if you couldn't rub it up against things and have an orgasm, your life would be diminished greatly. I mean, then it would just be, I don't know what. Rub it up against things. So what's the weirdest thing you've ever rubbed it up against? Ah, uh, you know, probably some kind of a fruit. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of fruit? Well, when you're in a jam, you're trying to figure out... In a out, jam? Fruit jam? Not in a, not in a jam. I guess I picked the wrong word. But I, I suppose that would have been back in the day. Banana? You ever, well, when you're you ever masturbate having... with a banana peel? Mm, I must have. I mean, <laughs> that just seems so obvious. I don't, there's no specific... <laughs> I must have, which suggests there's so many fucked fruits in your background that... Well, first you're trying to create something that would be similar to... The, those of us who didn't have sex first, right. we're trying to figure out like what would that what be would like? feel like you a know? vagina. I mean, I know yeah. what would feel like a vagina. And then uh, after you've had sex, you're trying to like, how can I approximate that? Because there's no one who wants to have sex with me right now. Or I don't know how to get that set up. Leaf blowers are the bane of podcasting. You Every time I sit down and turn on the mics, there's some guy with a leaf blower within 50 feet of me. I and, don't know what's up. And you know they're illegal here in Santa Monica. But, but nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives it. And these are, yeah. Well, this one sounds electric. This doesn't sound like... It could like, be. They're still illegal. They're still illegal. And unbelievable. I, they know. Uh, they, I, I don't even, I can't, I wish I wasn't here right now. <laughs> to witness the guy blowing leaves in my yard because I've also got an angry neighbor. I've got a neighbor who's default, like his, the way he starts a conversation, it always feels like you just want to go, if you're going to hit me, you might as well hit me. Really? You know, just get that like, over with yeah. and then we'll talk. Well, because, yeah. it, but if you want to talk to me, then you got to take it down really? a notch because I, I only feel like you want to hit me right now. But he likes to, he is a person who, couple years ago came over yelling at me about the yard guys and the leaf blower and how it was illegal and that's when I stopped the leaf blower guys from blowing the leaves but then we did a landscape thing because the city wanted this is a terrible this is so much less interesting than my penis right now. yeah no let's go back to your have you ever fucked a leaf blower no no I don't know these guys I mean who needs to tell you don't put your dick in the vacuum <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like somebody needs to tell some well, people, but I just, that was such an obvious, like, this is not, I mean, you got to just think well, it through. Well, but the suction Before is kind you, of alluring, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I get the, I get, I get why you feel like it would be a good idea, but you have to, before you do a thing, you need to just, just to spend a couple of seconds imagining what's the worst case scenario that could happen. And I feel like it's, I'm, oh, I'm not going to put my penis in the vacuum cleaner. You know, yeah. I'm not going to get it stuck in there. I'm not going to get a hickey. I'm not going to cut the base of it on the rim oh, of the metal yeah. of the nozzle. Yeah. I'm not. 
I mean, these are just simple. I'm just saying the obvious first couple that come to mind right now. Yeah, but it's been so long since I've ruled this out. Man, I mean, when you're 15, you can't think that far ahead. It's just like I'll bet that'll feel good. Where's that vacuum cleaner? Well, if that's where you're at, I would just say, look, if there's not a banana handy, get a cantaloupe. If there's not a cantaloupe handy, (laughs) get something. Get some lotion. Just, but do not, please, do not. Put your penis in the vacuum cleaner. Yeah. yeah. Kids, don't try that at home. Yeah, don't. I, 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 don't, I, think, I don't think I've ever had sex with any fruit other than a banana peel, and that was only once. All right, this guy literally is standing outside your should front door. Should we pause right now? I think we, we should pause, pause. yeah. yeah. It's, it's annoying as fuck. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. We're back. I turned it back on. <laughs> Work. It wasn't even that long that we were away, no, no. and we only talked about the yard guy the whole time. Just in case you, <laughs> you didn't miss like anything, you missed anything. <laughs> I apologize for the amount of yard guy talk that you had to listen to. Yeah, yeah, and and fruit fucking. I don't know if that's better or worse. Yeah, I feel like we're done with that. You want to you want to abandon that? Yeah, I want to talk about what we sort of what you came hot out of the driveway on, which is uh, microdosing of. Uh, acid. <laughs> we're going to talk about that. All right. Well, I just want to know, right. like, because you were saying people are doing, just in the context of this is a thing that people are doing, microdosing yeah. Yeah. acid. And I was saying that it seemed, the danger seems that you could forget that you're on acid. Or maybe you're not on acid. Or maybe you're always on acid. Yeah. Do we always want to be on acid? I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. I, I, uh, I've macrodosed quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I've macrodosed a couple of times when I was much younger, and that was great. But I almost feel like once I, made, once I did that, I kind of knew what that was, and I didn't need, I didn't, it wasn't a, an experience that I felt like I needed to have again. Mm. And then I've, I've, in my life, known people who, not acid, but, but are doing mushrooms or ecstasy on a regular basis just to keep going back to that spot. Right. Yeah. So you did it once? Uh, I did it maybe twice. Uh, yeah. Someone, I don't know if it was Ram Das or someone, one of those sort of 60s guru types said that, you know, when you've heard the message, hang up the phone, talking about mm-hmm. that, right? Like you, you can do hallucinogens a few times and you get the sense of what's going on and that how... You know what we call reality is this sort of cons- you know group consensus uh, illusion, and that there are so many other things happening and other ways of thinking and seeing things and so on and so forth. But then once you learn that, then there's really not much else there as far as hallucinogens. MDMA is a different thing, I think, um, and I, I understand that, and I got to that point too. But it was after a lot more visits i more kind of got to the we're all part of one big thing yeah we're all part of one big thing that was the that was the yeah what i got but yeah to have a to have a visceral kind of get brought back to that point i do see the value in that but and what do you get out of the micro well i mean i'll get back to you after i've experienced it myself but what i have heard and read is that it's you know essentially what most of these hallucinogens are is uh, are molecules that are very similar to neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. and so you know to sort of oversimplify, um, there are pathways through the through the brain that are established over time <clears throat> that 
and I mean this actually literally, there, there seems to be research that shows that the, you see a cat and the same sort of neural pathway lights up, mm-hmm. right, every time. Because you've seen so many cats by now that, that it's just like, oh, cat, boom, shh, that. Right. But then when you're, it, so, so imagine it's sort of like a rut, you know, so you just go down that, or, or like yeah. a river that's cut a channel, right? Uh-huh. But then when you flood the brain with a higher level of neurotransmitters, it's like literally a flood in the river that then allows it sometimes to, to cut a new path. So instead of going to the left of that rock, because the water level's so high now, it goes to the right of the rock. And that's why you have this sense of like, wow, I've never seen it that way before. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm seeing things as if it's the first time I've seen them. You get that sense of wonder that a child has all the time. So I think, getting back to your original point, I think children are tripping all the time in the sense that they're sort of cutting new neural pathways for every new perception. Right. I mean, I don't know if you can remember. I can remember when colors seem magical to me. Like, there, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a sense of blue that's just like, wow, that, that's so fucking blue. I'm almost drunk on the blue, you know? And then there's that amber color, and wow, that's... And it's not, and now it's like, oh, that blue, blah, blah, whatever. And then you trip, and it's like again, oh my God, look how blue that is, you know? Or mm-hmm. you, you, you know, look at flowers, and it's like you've never seen a flower before. And that's part of the wonder of it that you are recognizing it for what it is because it is amazing. But it we, is amazing. But yeah, we well, lose that sense of amazement, yeah. you know? Yeah, the experience of being alive is, is amazing. It's yeah, amazing, and that's what we forget so readily. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, getting into my sort of wheelhouse, I believe we live in a society that, in a, in a civilization that actively works to convince us uh, to forget how amazing it is because it wants us to waste our time on bullshit. I, yeah, I feel like <clears throat> I'm not ready to, do you think it's on purpose? Do you think it's a conspiracy theory on purpose that there is a them out there who's advancing that for, for the, its own purposes? Or do you, I feel like, <clears throat> do you feel like that? Or? Yeah, I do, but I don't believe that the them is people. I believe that the them is uh, an emergent intelligence that comes out of a large conglomeration of human intelligence coming together, sort of like people have, on my podcast have heard me talk about this a lot, but it, like a flock of, st- uh, a murmuration of starlings, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or a, um, uh, a school of salmon or something like that. When you get a certain, or, or an anthill or a termite mound, right? You get a certain number of individual intelligences in integrated, another life form emerges from that or another sort of systemic intelligence well, that has its own agenda well or or from a from a, a objective enough distance you can understand the reality of what's going on i think is it is it eo wilson who has this who who kind of had this idea that human beings are more of a kind of a hive animal that that, yeah. that, that like what you're Super talking organism. about yeah, yeah. That, that we're not while we are way more conscious than bees or ants there is this other level that we're operating on that like what you're talking about or that's is, operating on us that's operating on us that yeah. we're unaware of that we could be serving some purpose and even as individuals you and i can try and act outside of that purpose and and it'll be tolerated for however long it is before 
Unless we, we get trigger in the, way. the we trigger the immune system that right. eliminates us. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I think is happening, and I, I think that the yeah the the agenda of the superorganism often runs counter to the best interests of the individuals, and mm-hmm. so you know I think that you know the sense of wonder we're talking about. What's it do? It it, it you know it gets in the way of you doing any sort of boring, meaningless job. Right. That, right. Because, you know, uh, life's amazing. Why should I go sit in a cubicle every day? You know, like, yeah. you know, uh, death is not to be feared. So why do I have to worry about my 401k? It's like when you start, you know, that tune in, turn on, drop out. That's why. That's why people drop out because they get they get that sense of wonder and like, holy shit, I, I don't need to be afraid of all this stuff and I don't right. need to be a slave. I can just live my life and, you know, I don't need a lot of material things. I don't, all I need is fucking love and Jimi Hendrix posters. Yeah. So the message is the hive can tolerate a certain amount of kind of tune in, drop out hippie bees, but it can't tolerate a lot. Well, it can't tolerate or won't tolerate anything that disrupts its movement toward its goals. Mm. But what's interesting now you, is... But can you identify what its goals are? <clears throat> well, it's hard to identify, but it, you, know, you can see what it's doing, right? It's destroying the planet. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's, Why is it doing that, though? Well, I think it's inorganic. So it doesn't give a shit about organic. I think it's, it's becoming... Uh, I think if I had to guess, I would say that the the movement we're like an embryonic stage and it's moving toward this sort of technological hyper intelligence that will then spread through the universe and so the earth is something to be used up and discarded mm-hmm. which it's doing as are we by the way which is also happening mm-hmm. as we see automation you know robotics like you know hippies were sort of a precursor because they were voluntarily dropping out but i think that what's going to happen in the next 20 or 30 years is we're going to see human beings are increasingly irrelevant and unneeded. And so then what's going to happen? Either there's going to be, they'll be eliminated by whatever, disease or war or whatever, or maybe we'll have this sort of uh, minimal guaranteed income to just keep people peaceful, you know, whatever. But, you know, we already see it in manufacturing, right? Manufacturing jobs are pretty much gone. They're never coming back, Mm -hmm. whatever Trump says. Now it's moving into the service sector. When it moves into the service sector, which is 80% of the jobs. Well, yeah, they say all these driving jobs. Anybody who's got a job driving. Driving jobs. Doctors, surgeons don't need to Mm -hmm. be in the same country as you. Uh, I was reading this morning about this. Uh, They're talking about things now with um, robotics where someone can be sitting in front of a computer in India cleaning the hotel room in New York. Running the vacuum cleaner. I don't know how they're going to change the sheets, but running the vacuum cleaner, you know, cleaning things, it's, mm-hmm. you know, meetings, you don't need to, to move anymore for meetings. They've got tables where one side of the table is screens and cameras and the other side of the table, you sit there and you and I wouldn't have to be in the same room right now. So then why are we running a hotel room? <laughs> I mean, who's staying in the hotel that yeah. the robot made is cleaning? Yeah, exactly. If people are having their meetings somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's really... So where do we go then? Where does our... It's obviously not us, not our physical squishy meat bodies. Are our, our, our consciousnesses all going to get become a, a one kind of entity that gets downloaded into a thing? or Only the parts that are useful. 
or are we or are we this big hive animal that does we we exhaust this planet and we we launch you know we don't even have to launch us that idea that we're just we're now the fully blossomed thing that the original microbe that fell into the bubbly primordial soup right. started right. you know right. that some meteor hit the earth with some little fizzy alka-seltzer of a of a animal that yeah. then turned and evolved into us that now shot we've already sh we're shooting satellites out into other planets you know the the voyager yeah. spacecraft i was reading this the other day we don't sterilize any of that we didn't sterilize that before we launched it whatever was on it or whoever sneezed into it that was out there and now we're talking about sending this mini sub into the ocean on jupiter with yeah. and we you know we're not going to give that a biological well off. space would sterilize it right i mean well, no. no there's there's things that can there are viruses and whatnot that can survive dormant in space yeah you know well do you know terence mckenna's you ever read him? Do you know? I haven't read him, but I've heard him be. Joe Rogan talks about him all the time, oh, and right. I've tried to listen to him, but he, he always seems like he's a little bit. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he had this theory. Uh, well, you know the panspermia theory that you know life. You basically just described it, where uh -huh. life you know spread through the universe in some mm -hmm. little Alka-Seltzer. Uh, <laughs> well, we're the invasive species. What I'm trying to say yeah. is we're all these things that we talk about as invasive species, right. we're the ones who drop those off, right. either yeah. on purpose in Australia where we brought down rabbits because we wanted to hunt them, right. or by accident in the Great Lakes when we dumped the bilge water out of our ships and yeah. these, whatever they are, tiger mussels that really right. took over. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, Terence McKenna's theory is that uh, life... Uh, originates on on planets where the conditions are, are right but intelligence is something that spreads through the universe and the way that happens is through um, psilocybin mushroom spores mm. because it turns out they like as you said some things can exist in space and mushroom spores are one of them and they time is immaterial they can exist forever mm -hmm. uh, and if they land in a warm wet place they'll sprout doesn't matter. So they're infinitely viable, and they're so light, they're dust, they actually are propelled by cosmic energy waves. Uh -huh. So if time doesn't matter, then that's the perfect intergalactic form, right. right? So they spread out through the universe, and they happen to land wherever there's life, wherever there's warm, wet, you know. And then, so then our ancestors, you know, there was this great brain expansion about 80,000 years ago, in our species, and no one's ever explained exactly why that happened. There are different theories, whether it's mm -hmm. fire or, you know, hunting, cooperative hunting or whatever. But um, his theory was that our ancestors were following these ungulates through Africa, herds of buffalo or, or you know, whatever. And these spores land in their shit, and, that's, and they grow in the shit. So some of our ancestors ate these mushrooms and so what happened to them? Essentially microdosing, they got higher visual acuity, so they recognized patterns better, which means they, they saw the mm -hmm. leopard before anyone else did. They got horny as fuck, so they were, they were fucking a lot more, so they passed on whatever curiosity genes or whatever they had that led them to eat the mushrooms. So they had an evolutionary advantage. And so that was the sort of uh, triggering of higher consciousness in our species. It came from these mushroom spores. Uh-huh, okay. That's his theory. But we had that in us anyway. Well, some of us I mean, had a tendency toward risk-taking and curiosity, like, hey, what's that? I'll eat that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so there's, 
we didn't have the brain. I mean, the brain grew very rapidly as well. So, well, no, actually, that's not true. The brain didn't grow. The brain, the cranium didn't, uh, didn't grow. It reorganized. It was a cultural revolution more than a physiological revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm not saying I believe it, but it's an interesting idea that, that rather than life that, that spreads, it's consciousness. Uh-huh. Well, it's definitely got to be something that's bigger or different than us. You know, that's this idea that we're going to go to other planets. In Interstellar, in the movie Interstellar, right there, the, the, the big lie is that, oh, people, actual human beings are going to go to these other planets. It's like, no, that's not what's going to happen. It's right. just going to be the embryos, and then they're going to right. give birth, and so that way they can endure this long. And then the real reality is it's not even going to be embryos. It's just these little seeds of life that are get, get planted, yeah. and then we've got time to wait a billion, four billion years for those to turn into us, and then us to turn into some other thing. We yeah. always kind of perceive ourselves as the be-all, end-all shit it's of humanity. Yeah. I mean, that's what the people in Ben Franklin's time thought. Well, we've discovered it all. <laughs> you know? Yeah, those guys in the 80s who wrote the books about the end of history. Like, what are you talking about, dude? The end of history. Remember that? The guy, this guy was really famous for a while. Like, okay, that's it. Soviet Union's fallen. The end well, of history. This, this is my favorite question kind of now is what things do you think that we believe now in 20 years are just going to be? Can you believe that those dumbasses, us, thought that that was true? Can you believe that those dumbasses didn't know that they needed to wash their hands before they did mm. a medical operation? Yeah. They thought that that was not a significant... There's got to be a few things that we're doing now that just in years from now are going to be considered absurd. Well, certainly ignoring global warming. You know, I think that's, that's going to be recognized very soon as completely absurd. And, but that's only an American thing, really. Is it only America? Because I feel like it's spreading. I feel like there's climate change deniers now in other English-speaking countries, certainly down in New Zealand and Australia. Mm. Where, where, because they've, they've also, <clears throat> down there, they've... they've their concern about climate change, they've said, oh, well, these cow, cow farts, so we got to tax the dairy farmers for their cow farts, which are putting methane into the atmosphere, which is arguably more dangerous, or it is more dangerous pound for pound than, than carbon. Some, yeah, yeah. But, but now that now the climate change deniers are down there, or it's people who are incentivized to not do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to really understand. For me, uh, <coughs> observing, are, are there people who are denying climate change because they don't believe it, or are they doing it because it's in their interest to deny it? And then they've got other people who don't believe it. And, yeah. and, the, and sometimes the people who know better are being replaced by the people who don't know better. Right. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of that in medicine, too. I think there are a lot of doctors, uh, oncologists, for example. I have a good friend who's an oncologist in Spain he's probably retired by now but I remember him telling me like look man it's all a scam it's all a racket what happens is the drug you know the patent runs out they come up with a new drug it costs 10 times as much and it doesn't it's no better than the old drug and it's all just about money and sometimes it's worse than the old drug but they'll market it they pay doctors a lot of money to you know, do research that says that this is more effective. How does that work? And this is legal, right? 
they'll, they'll pay for 20 studies. 19 of them will show no effect or a negative effect. One will show a positive effect. That one gets published. The other 19 are never published. They never mm. see the light of day. We call that science? That's not fucking science. Science is you publish all 20 of those and you say we found 5% of the studies conducted have shown any positive effect. That's science, but that's not what happens. Well, money has corrupted all of this. Money has corrupted all of I was reading a, 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 maybe this is not exactly. But it's not just money, it's methodology. That's, that's the thing. And when people say science is beyond money, science is about methodology, well, no, it's not. Well, but when I say money, I mean that they have the money to do all these studies, and then the money says if you can prove this, that's what you're incentivized to prove. Right. So we paid for all these studies, and because right. we paid for them, we can afford to throw these other ones away right. because this is the one that's going to generate profit for right. us. Exactly. And then other companies are like, well, <clears throat> we don't have a real incentive to try and reproduce these results because that's not even our drug. So why do we give a shit right. about? I mean, it's in our interest right. maybe to prove that it doesn't work if we have a different drug, but it's not in our yeah. interest to just purely go out and, and... Yeah. And meanwhile, these same companies are undermining, with their lobbyists, they're undermining the FDA to do independent studies of these drugs or to, you know, do any control over this stuff. So I think you, you asked your original question, what are we going to look back on, whether 20 years or 50 years, uh, and be amazed that we believed it? I think that's one of the things that, mm -hmm. that we'll be amazed mm -hmm. at, that... that I, I think that what's happening is that the American empire is collapsing. And so there are going to be a lot of things that we're going to look back on in a couple of decades and say, holy shit, how did we not see all this shit coming? How did we not see what was happening? I, I get what you're saying about the American empire, but also I feel like the American empire is also hooked to modern science and the way our global culture, which is kind yeah. of exported American culture, has been operating. Yeah. And this, our former system of ethics and morality, which we've kind of abandoned for a, for a legal template that we put over the top of it, which is not as good as individual ethics and morality. You know, the, the idea that you wouldn't hold yourself to a higher standard than what you can legally get away with right. is, is that's the foundation of sand that we're building the, the world on. <laughs> yeah. you, know, it's, yeah. you know, you've got to ask yourself, so if I get cancer, what do I, how do I decide what I'm going to do? How do I get the information about what's really going on? I mean, yeah. and, and this kind of, this political thing that's happening right now where, where Trump is just saying, check your facts and everybody's got different facts about it. Or, or they're saying that it's a post-fact era. There, there are no facts. Well, when you hear this story about these scientific studies, you know, that's, I could see how even a rational person who I respect, yeah. like you or I, could come to that conclusion yeah. that we're in a post-fact era. Yeah. Just before you got here, I was on Flipboard reading this article about Amy Purdy, who did one of the most popular TED Talks out there, and it's all about these power poses, the Wonder Woman pose. Oh, right. If you stand in those poses, your body releases these uh, hormones like testosterone. And, and they were talking about the science backing up that TED Talk has been now discredited by some of the people who actually did the science about right. it being too small of a sample, and right. there's too many other variables right. in there. And, and it was a great article because it, it talked about how the scientific method had been sort of 
corrupted or misused or, or you know, they, they came out with this result that was so exciting that, and the media was super excited to report on it. And, the, right. and people who are watching are like, yeah, I can stand in the Wonder Woman pose and that's going to change my life. I mean, <laughs> how great is that news? I don't have to learn it's how to easy. play an instrument yeah. or, or <laughs> no go to work. college or, you know. And I'll lose weight if I, I stand in the skinny pose. Yeah. 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 Good luck with that. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Neil Strauss the other day, and he had been interviewing a scientist recently uh, who does brain research. Well, now now the guy's up they on the roof. They go up to the roof and they do some... I, now, this is incredible, man. Yeah, it's really... It's like being infested with rodents. It's like human-sized <laughs> rodents come to the house and cause mayhem. But when, only when you're recording. Oh, yeah, well... I. <laughs> the funny thing is, is yeah, this is super early for them to be here. Yeah, usually they're here much later in the day. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he was saying that he talked to this guy um, who's done all this original research. I think he was at NYU, and he's often quoted or or cited as having said that the amygdala uh, is the uh, emotion processing center of the brain. And this guy said, "I never said that." It's not the emotion processing center. Emotions are complex. What is an emotion? You know, it's an emotion is what, is what you think it is. It's like love and, and anxiety and, and affection, all these different things. Those are processed all over the brain. Those are higher cortical functions. I never said that. I just said that the amygdala processes the, um, what was it, like the, you know, the fight or flight response and then you know that gets into the hands of some journalist who doesn't isn't careful or doesn't give a shit or wants got to have narrative. something exciting to say right and so then it turns into this other thing same thing happened with the chimps you know the warfare between chimpanzees jane goodall was reporting for years how peaceful chimpanzees were and then she she saw this conflict between two chimp true groups of uh, chimps which she had essentially arguably provoked herself by putting food in the jungle in mm-hmm. these cages and getting them all riled up and freaked out and giving them something to fight over. And then she reported that there was conflict. That was like front cover of National Geographic magazine. You know? So you can't, so we are living in a world where you can't trust. You, you, well, that's you've, it. Got a, you've got to, you've got to go at back. Least, at least you've got to question everything. Well, and, or at least you have to go back to the original research and look at the paper itself. What does that paper say? And if the scientist is ethical, they will say, look, you know, this is the sample size. I mean, I was just reading about, you know, the Milgram uh, research, the famous studies showing that Where people sh- will torture. People will torture other people, yeah. Well, it turns out he, he ran like 50 different sets, 50 different scenarios, all different, mm-hmm. you know, um, well, I should say to listeners what it is. These were studies that were done at Yale, I think, shortly after World War II uh, in the 50s, where he, was, he had graduate students. Um, he would, they would sit down at a console, and then they'd see someone behind a, like a soundproof window, and they had electrodes attached to them. And he, he would tell the graduate students to turn, you know, turn the uh, dial up to two or three. If they got the wrong answer, the, the graduate students were giving the, the others the shock. And, right. and, and, and the understanding was that they were both volunteers, and this is what they volunteered right. for, and you've got to give them a shock. Right. And the people weren't actually experiencing pain, but they, they were, were acting as if right. they were experiencing right. pain. So, so that the person administering pain, they thought that they were really giving a shock right. to someone. Exactly. And when they... When they balked and said, geez, I don't want to do this, if they were reassured by the proctor 
or the person running yeah. the experiment, no, this is part of the experiment. They volunteered. You need to give them the shock for this. To, yeah. for us to, yeah. They would actually do the shock. Right. So that's what's been reported. And so the, the, the story that's filtered out into the culture, which is still being cited now 50 years later, is that essentially everyone is potentially a, a, a Nazi prison guard. That we, if ordered to do so, we will inflict great pain on other people. That's the story. Turns out he ran 50 different scenarios and only in one or two of them did more than half of the people agree to turn up the shocks to the point where it was causing serious pain. More so, than, far so. more than half the people said, fuck this and quit. So hold your horses, listeners. Not all of you are cut out to be Nazi prison guards. <laughs> Only some of you are going to make right. the grade. Time to, you know, yeah. re uh, edit your CV. But yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, there are innumerable examples of how these bullshit stories come out that, or, or human lifespan is doubled. Bullshit. You've heard me rant about that. Well, that's that. the statistical, right, the right. infant mortality right. thing is what skews that. <clears throat> but this also reminds me what, the specifics of this, of, of that Re Rebecca Solnit book that we talked about before. Oh, Paradise Built in Hell. Yeah, yeah. about how most people's nature in the face of a terrible disaster is to work together and help each other out. Yeah. And you only have to ask yourself what you would do to know that that's true. I mean, there, most people would, would not have the stomach to lock their apocalypse shelter and not let their, relative, their neighbors in. Your neighbor would. Hmm? My neighbor would? Well, that one particular angry guy, he would lock me out. But you know what? Here's the news about him. He's the guy who wants to get into my shelter. He doesn't have a shelter. That guy's got two giant TVs, and he's going to spend the apocalypse finishing his whiskey. And uh, It's probably a pretty good way to go, really. I think so. I mean, when I think about the apocalypse, I don't want to get to the point where we're actually dirty and fighting each other for scraps of food. Yeah. Or, well, that's know. it. Do you want to survive the apocalypse? Cannibalism? No, I, I don't. I mean, once, once I'm not having kind of fairly, well, I don't mind a little dirty sex, but you know, I mean, once you can't have make love to someone and enjoy a nice meal and you know, have a happy day when when just or at least fruit. I mean, make love to fruit. Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> sure. If I'm the last guy on earth. <laughs> Uh, that's a tough one, though, because you're kumquat. hungry, you come across a banana. <laughs> Why do you across, think they call yeah. them kumquats? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, back yeah. to where we once belonged. Yeah. What, so what's going on, man? You're on tour. You're, you're, I'm always on tour. You're so always I'm, on this tour. Is a busy, this is a busy... I'm doing my little mini version. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little plumbing noise. I can't, you can't always be sure that some of these this noises are going to come across the microphone. So fun. This is so atmospheric. This is great. I've hide, they, I think it's a ver, verisimilitude. I mean, this is what it's like to actually be at my house and have a conversation. Right, right. That's good. It's not a bad house, but we're infested with some other... I wouldn't even call this an infestation. These are people who are... It's a visitation. Who we've hired to come over and to do this. To come and make weird yeah. noises. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're on tour. You were just in San Francisco. I, yeah. I, I How was, was that? How you've been playing San Francisco a long time, I imagine. Well, that's where I started my career. So, right. I mean, and that was so long ago that now I worked with. You know, this time I was up there with comics who didn't know that I started out right. up there. But right. uh, yeah, I've been going to San Francisco every year for. Do you do you weeks. get a? I mean, I, I guess when you play in a city, you get a sense for how the tone of the city's changing. 
over mm-hmm. time. I mean, San Francisco used to be like, that's where uh, Lenny Bruce like really hit. And like, that was where you said whatever the fuck you want to say. That was, and now it's PC culture. Well, when I moved there, it was that um, hippie summer of love leftovers. I mean, I moved there in 82. And so that wasn't that long after the Summer of Love, which was like 69 or 70, yeah, something so like that. Yeah, like a decade after. Yeah. Right, which a decade is nothing we know uh-huh. now in terms of, in terms of that. So, so there was the residuals of that. I mean, it felt separate from that, but that was still enough of that was going on. And then there were all these different neighborhoods. It was you still know, pretty cheap in those days. Italian town. San Francisco was like a sophisticated blue-collar town yeah. with a lot of different neighborhoods and very interesting cultures and, and a kind of an open mind, mm. but, but blue collar, like, like even people in San Francisco were kind of freaked out that there was a neighborhood where guys were having sex with each other, mm. you know, I, I, it, it, that, that was not an easy, comfortable celebratory relationship that was like, oh, those guys, we're known for being, for, for, for this is a gay city and yeah. how do we feel about that? And, and it was before Silicon Valley. And now San Francisco is all those neighborhoods are kind of still there, but they're being turned into tourist attraction kind of, they, they exist because there's, the people who started them are sort of still there, but, but they're being replaced by wealthy dot com. Yeah. Kind of well, even the mission isn't grungy jerky. anymore. The mission isn't grungy. The tenderloin is still holding on to a little <laughs> bit of its drug addicted transsexualness. Yeah. Uh, homeless people, you know, it's it's got a wild. It's there's a little bit of a wild west thing, but that's getting smaller and yeah. smaller. Yeah. You know. So do you find like, have you? I mean, I guess you you adjust your comedy anyway. With do you do a new set every year? How do you deal with? That? I try and turn it over, but I I'd say for me, if you saw me last year, you're probably going to see half new, maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and, so you but, sort of filter and then, in. The, and then the half that's not new will also have evolved and had right. things added on to it. Right. So it's so it's always kind of changing into another thing. So I'm it's not like a guy a sourdough who, mother. Yes. Right. You're pulling out and putting in. Pulling out and putting in and not I I don't do the thing where I throw away the whole thing. It right. just becomes all new over time. Right. Which is you know, I do, because I did this Australia Comedy Festival earlier this year, that was after the last right. time I saw you, yeah. right? And, um, or no, maybe in between. Uh, but uh, because I did that, their mentality is every, when you come back next year, you have to have a whole new hour. I'd really been focused on that, but now it's, I'm not going to be able to go back. 2017, it's going to be 2018 before I can get You had back. a good time down there, I guess. I really liked it artistically. It was fun to kind of be in a new place and perform for a new crowd and... There's a little bit of, hey, it's more economically rewarding for me to stay in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I know this audience, you know, mm-hmm. so I know how to make the jokes that get this audience to laugh. So there's, a, there's that little challenge of like you're outside of that and so you have to figure, mm-hmm. figure them out. And, and the, so the financial incentive isn't there. So it's, you're just operating on this. It's kind of a fun mm. thing for me to try and figure out how to do. Right. And the people down there were so nice. It was just really, and artistically to meet the other comics, I, I enjoyed it. I would, I would 
Were you performing with Australian comics or everyone? It's an international yeah. comedy festival, so yeah. there's Australian comics certainly, but then there's the New Zealand comics, there's uh, British, Canadian, there's some Americans, but it's really f f more of a kind of a Commonwealth vibe. But then there's then there's Filipino. You know, I met, met these Filipino guys that were over that were doing their act in English, but but they're you know they they live in the Philippines. Yeah, and so it was really fun. Because you're doing your show, you're seeing those show, their shows, and then you're also hanging out with them afterwards in this kind of, sometimes it's the organized festival venue where everybody goes late night for some specific thing, and sometimes it's just, hey, there's so many of us in town that you practically go into any bar and you're mm. going to wind up with these guys. Wow. Well, was out. it all in Sydney or did it move no, around? No, it was in Melbourne. It was all, it was in all Melbourne. Melbourne. I like Melbourne. Melbourne. Melbourne's pretty great. Sort yeah. of reminds me of San Francisco in some ways. I would say if you had to kind of, you'd say Sydney was like New York or Melbourne is like San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, or like it used to be. At least when I was there, I, I got this feeling there were a lot of students and, you know, you could live pretty cheaply. And there's, I remember going to this Asian night market with incredible food. It was just amazing. There was some really great food in Melbourne and some great, I mean, they have a real coffee yeah, culture yeah. thing there that's, that's yeah, awesome. But it's, but it's having the same thing that San Francisco is having. You know, it's, it's known for being this artistic, mm. great place where you can be yourself and then lots of people are attracted to that. Right. And then the real estate values go up and then all at once the artists can't afford to live in the neighborhood. Can't where be yourself live. anymore. Yeah, well, you got to go move to the, hey, guess what? The investment bankers and the fancy advertising executives want to take over your hipster neighborhood. So you're going to have to go pioneer a new neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, one of my dreams is uh, I've got this idea to buy a van and cruise around the I country. I thought it's underway, right? I well, I mean, it's all, it's all tied into the book, which, you know, is, is the, the, every time... It's a Sisyphean task, that I book. I thought the book was done. I did too, but my editor doesn't. So that's the... Uh... Does he know how popular the t-shirt is? Because <laughs> I can't... I, as you know, I wear that t-shirt and it's uh, uh, photos of me in that t-shirt are available <laughs> on the internet. But the yeah. t-shirt for your book, Civilized to Death, <laughs> is so popular. People takes. love it. Belinda wears hers. My daughter wears hers <laughs> to school. You got the whole family decked out in your Civilized to Death gear. The other day when I told, <laughs> I told Belinda, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see Chris. We're going to have lunch and do the podcast. She goes, could you ask him oh, where I can get another one of those t-shirts? And I was like, it's a business. You go to his website. Oh, you can no, buy them. I'll, no, I'll hook her up. No, well, I wasn't trying to get a free t-shirt. I was trying to tell her, like, it, this is not a... It's, this isn't a secret present that he's given us. <laughs> yeah, just talk to my mom. She, she's got a garage full of those. Yeah, things, but man. the uh, but the book. I mean, the T-shirt is so. This is <laughs> who cares about the I book? I mean, Pirates just, of the Caribbean is a series of hit movies that are based on a ride at Disneyland. Exactly. And so if it's that can happen, it's all about the merch. How can a book based on a successful T-shirt <laughs> be this long in the making? Yeah, I know, I know. It's. Yeah, well, well, we we don't want to talk about that. But anyway, that's that's the thing. He's, uh, you know, we're sort of going back and forth a little bit on that. So the van was going to be purchased with the the next payment on my advance, uh -huh. which comes in when he and I agree on you know what the manuscript is. So I thought that was going to be a couple months ago or a month ago or whatever, but. Yeah, I just have to. We're negotiating things. The book that you wrote on the side of a volcano. Uh huh. 
It was on the side of a volcano. It was, yeah, yeah. And, and do, you recommend, do you recommend the side of a volcano? As a oh, place I to... loved the Gran Canaria. It was amazing. Yeah, that's a beautiful place. The Canary Islands are, are fantastic in general. Yeah, because they're right off the coast of Morocco. Mm-hmm. It's eternal springtime. The weather is pretty much the same all year, fluctuating between 75 and 90 degrees during the day and cool at night. It's the cleanest air on the planet outside of Antarctica. Mm-hmm. The water, you swim in that ocean, you come out, you, you don't even want to take a shower. You feel like you just took a shower. There's, it's not salty and gross. and not, It's so clean, so wonderful. It's pristine. It's beautiful. And there's seven islands. Each one is different. One, like Fuerteventura, is, is like a chunk of the Sahara Desert just plopped down in the middle of the ocean. Just big sand dunes and amazing beaches. And then Gran Canaria, where I was, is this huge this volcanic. It looks like Utah. It's got like canyons mm-hmm. and rocks. And How big it, of an island? Uh, probably uh, miles. It's hard to say. But Do it's, you bike around it? Do you... I had a car. I rented yeah. a car. I rented a car for a month. It cost me 220 euros. What? Yeah, I don't know how the hell they'd make money on that. We are moving to the Canary Islands. Oh, That's dude, what I'm saying. Dude, right? I, what I would love to do is like get a bunch of friends together and go like buy a big chunk and have sort of like a, you know, like everyone has their own house, but like we have a group, you know, like a, a van to get into the city when we need to, and you know, all use the same fucking washing machines and shit. But like. <laughs> So like a semi, semi-commune. <laughs> These are the fantasies of 50-year-old men. <laughs> exactly. All right, it's, it's a all van. About the washing it's a van. There's a van and some washing machines that we all share. I'm Do you see you. what I'm saying? You're going to love it. We're going to be in charge of our own laundry in the Mediterranean Ocean. Uh, it's the Atlantic. Oh, it's not in the Mediterranean? No, it's the Atlantic. It's over off the coast of Africa. I thought Morocco was on the top. No, it's on oh, the well, corner. Oh, it is. It's on the corner. Different kind of. coast. Different yeah, coast. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah it's, it's in the, the corner. Yeah, it's in the Atlantic. Food? How was the food? Fantastic. Fantastic. It's Spain, so you got the Spanish, you know, political mm-hmm. stability, such mm-hmm. as it is. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, fresh fish out the wazoo, whatever mm-hmm. that means. And uh, yeah, lots of like on Gran Canaria, there are vineyards and you know vegetables. It's super lush and wonderful. And then you go like Tenerife has the really high volcanic mountain snow capped. They're skiing, and you know you can ski in the morning and be surfing in the afternoon. And then there's um, La Gomera and uh, uh, what's the other one? Las Palmas. Or La Palma. I always get confused. One is a city, one's a... Anyway, that's all jungle, like rainforest. You know, and there are all these microclimates. It's it's really beautiful. I love it out there. And the Did, people are cool and chill. They, and they're okay with Americans? They like foreigners because they've been dealing with foreigners forever and a lot mm-hmm. of the economies. And, and it's like there's one part of the island where all the foreigners go. And then the other part where the local people live. So if you if you're in the local part, you're cool because you're and you speak Spanish and it's it's great. I really like it there. But you know, uh, as I think I said to you in an email, the problem is as much as I love Spanish culture because it's so cool and relaxed and healthy mm-hmm. and chill, but it doesn't generate really interesting people. It generates really nice people. Really good, healthy, somewhat boring people. who want to get a van and wash their own clothes. (laughs) You can't talk to anybody about washing machines over there. They don't get it. They just don't get it. Yeah. 
No, so being in LA, I really like being in LA because the culture is so fucked up that it generates really interesting people. I feel like that this LA has, I well, we're I'm in Santa Monica, which is part of this big LA, but LA is also big, so there's a yeah. lot of people here, and right. there's a lot of stuff to do here, right. and and yeah, it's it, there's a lot of fun people, but you also got the ocean, you got some delicious food, but there's yeah. the hassle of the. The ass pain of the traffic and the yeah. smog and the and the, the dumbasses, the jerks and but you yeah. Know, you don't well, have to I live, live up in else. Topanga and yeah. I I come down to you know come down out of the mountains maybe twice a week. You know, like mm-hmm. that, this is it to see you. And today I'll go see my parents and I've got the thing with a friend later. And so I try to group it all together. Like I'm coming down from the mountain. Let's all you know, uh, but. I, Twice a week, two or three times and a week. And the rest of the time you're just up there? I'm and up there. And it's fantastic up there. Are you in an enclave? <laughs> an enclave. A compound. Yeah, is it a compound? <laughs> do, you just, do you just interact with the other people in your small circle? The other do, is there a town that you go into up there? Is it, well, I mean, there really into... isn't much of a town, but the word has filtered out that I'm, I'm around. And so all these people have been inviting me out for hikes and to come over for coffee. And... Um, it's a very interesting crowd up there. Really yeah. interesting. Very it's, creative people. Because it's not so far from the rest of everything here, but <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, it, but it's 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 kind of a remote. Like you only go up there if you know who you're going up there to right, see. Right. And so the only people who are up there are people who are up there. That's which that's true. Sort of. Stupid, yeah. But well, but it's not it's not really on the way. I mean, some people are commuting. Nobody wants to hear about commutes, but. Um, the in between the valley and the yeah, yeah it's yeah. become an alternative mm-hmm. to the 405 so you get that but the the people who live up there are people generally who don't work in the city because the commute sucks so they're people who are creating content doing shit online mm-hmm. or you know they whatever they can work at home so you get a lot of writers a lot of like videographers uh, artists mm-hmm. you know and it's sort of famous for that you know musicians people like that but when you first got here, you were saying you're trying to stay in the uh, the Happy Manson mode. Was yeah. it the Happy Manson mode? Well, yeah, like the Manson. I like the Manson model with the sex and the drugs, but just without the killing. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I think we're going to do a Manson reboot mm-hmm. up there in Topanga and see if we can pull that off. He was going megadoses. He was, and yeah. that's see, why you maybe go maybe that's it. Manson light. Microdoses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a t-shirt in there somewhere. Serial monogamy, not serial killing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like All that. Right. Yeah, you're, you're a brand, you're a marketer. I've tried to invent my own t-shirt that's yeah. as popular as the monkey t-shirt so that then I can write a book. Yeah. Well, then, then you'll have all the pressure to live up to the T-shirt. That's the problem. Well, this is, I'm the guy who would quit after the T-shirt. You just say. I think. Fuck it. I right. think, I mean, I... Uh, I had recently kind of thought, oh, maybe that's what, maybe that's a thing that I should try and do is to write something, a book about something that I know something about. And then that could be my calling card to get more corporate speaking engagements mm. or, or to, you know, help promote my stand up show or something like right. that. But it's like, what are you going to write a book about? What, if, what do you, what do I, what all, all I know is how to hang out and talk about nonsense <laughs> with people. That's all I know how to do. And it's like, it's hard. It's a tough. Yeah. It's an easy sell at a nightclub. Like, hey, I'd yeah. like to go listen to a silly man for an hour. Right. But do you want to read a book written by a silly man? I'll look. I'll freely admit to you that I don't know if power poses are real or not. But uh, 
I do them before I go on. I'll put my hands up in the like I'm the I'm the champion because well, I read somewhere that that makes you feel better, and then I convinced myself that it felt better. Did you do voice exercises? One thing we know is the placebo effect is real. Yeah, yeah, the placebo effect is real, which is a funny phrase because the whole point is that it's not. Yes, you know, and the more expensive it is, the better it works, which gets us back to science. And also, like, the color of the placebo matters. Like, reds will make you more excited and blues will put you to sleep. Yeah, I was just listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast yesterday and he had somebody on. They were talking about this and how in France, the, the, mm. the, the uh, suppository placebo is oh. more effective oh, than oh, the really? oral placebo. And in Italy, the colors are switched because the blues are the Italian football team and everyone associates that with high energy. So the blue actually wakes you up and the reds will put you to sleep. Mm. It's so fucked up. Yeah, it's it's all really interesting stuff. I had a woman on my podcast who studies, she's an anthropologist and also studies mental health. And she found that schizophrenic people in different cultures, all, they, everyone hears voices, right? They have auditory hallucinations, but they say different things depending what culture you're coming from. Mm. So in America, you know, we have the, you know, kill, 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 and, you know, hurt yourself and cut your wrists and all this stuff. Whereas in India, they typically like tell you to clean the house. <laughs> you know, so like in a lot of cultures, you know, we're, we associate the voices with all this scary shit. But in a lot of cultures, it's just like, oh, you know, don't forget to, you know, wash the dishes. It's like, it's not a problem. We should have it. There should be some kind of, I don't, although I don't know who wants the American schizophrenics, but this, this, there could be a great schizophrenic exchange program, you know, <laughs> like the sexually repressed country. We send That's them our schizophrenics idea. who just want to have sex all the time. And then obviously we could, I mean, I feel like there's a, you know, a house cleaning, a house schizophrenic, cleaning. how's right. it going? What do you need more of? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you place an ad in Craigslist. Yeah. Like, you know, looking for a schizophrenic housekeeper. I think you're right. It's, it's the problem with the schizophrenics is it's hard to get them to stick to the, you know, this is the agreement that we made. Right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know a What's lot about contract law with schizophrenia. I don't know. It's yeah. tough. It's tough going. It is tough. Yeah. So that's, that's my life, man. Back in Topanga, back here in LA. How long are you here for? I don't know. In, it, Life is indefinite. unpredictable, isn't I it? I love Jake? it. How long but, are you here for? Well, let's the, dura get, let's the duration. Right <laughs> I'm the here duration. for the duration. <laughs> you're, you're roped in, are I you? I feel like I am. I mean, I can't say that in front of, of Belinda because she's convinced that we need to move to someplace smaller. And I've tried to explain to her, like, I come from someplace smaller, and all the places in America that are smaller than this are pretty red steady. It's it's nice. Mm. It's nice people, but. You're, you're politically, you're not maybe going to have as much in common with them. And culturally, you're not going to have as much well, in common Well, but how many them. friends do you really need? I need, a, I need several. Because, several, uh, yeah. I mean, this is great. And I can't wait till the next time we see each other. It's probably going to be a week or two. But eventually, you grow tired. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want me to be your only friend, I, is yeah, what you're saying. I, I'm saying you don't yeah. want to be my only friend. <laughs> It, it's probably a little much for me to handle. That's true. But what I mean is, this gets back to the van. This is what I was going to say about the van, because we were talking about how the creative people get pushed out by the bankers, yes. you know, and go go find another place to live. Uh, what I've been hearing from a lot of people is that what's happening in the U.S. now is that because cities have become so expensive, young creative people are um, 
colonizing little towns and that there is this resurgence of small, interesting towns that you would never guess. Like a friend of mine is in Fargo and he says Fargo is the funkiest, coolest place in the Northern Plains because everyone who's interesting within a thousand miles goes to Fargo. Well, that's always kind of been the case. When I moved from Ames, Iowa to California, Ames was a pretty, they had a, a few great restaurants and a few, there's a core group of like-minded people who are right. making their version of, but they want to go to the real version, the big version. This is the, yeah. this is the problem with the, the Midwest is that it's got an inferiority complex sometimes. I mean, I don't mean this as an insult. I mean to say, look, you should feel better because a lot of, and when you go to Minneapolis, the cultural and arts center in Minneapolis that they've kind of tried to build a museum that's as nice as, as something in New York, it's actually nicer because it's right. clean and it's, and it's not and getting as overused and there's not as many people. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, do get, I do get that that's possible. But, but look, I, you don't want to go to Fargo. It's too cold. It's I cold. Can't, I can't deal with it. It is cold. But I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that you know, quality of life, like, okay, LA is great. And, and yeah, there are lots of fascinating people here. But if I could take, you know, 50 of my favorite people from LA and plop them down in, I don't know, Santa Fe or, or Austin or, you know, someplace where the weather isn't like Fargo, the Canary Islands, that's all I need. I don't need, I don't, I mean, when's the last time I've been to the fucking symphony in LA, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not something I really need. Well, I'm, I'm down with that idea. And I had, I had that idea years ago, and I hear you saying it, and I've heard Joe Rogan say it. And the, but the, 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 the problem starts to be, well, like, okay, you're one of my 50, I'm one of your 50. Yeah. But then you, call, then you, you, should, you should introduce me to the other 48. And I'm like, you know, I'm down with about 10 of those, those but people. I'd like to replace <laughs> the other 30 with. <laughs> You say you don't like my friends. Oh, I'm okay, saying here, I here, know we're running into a problem already. I can see. I know I'm gonna. I'm, well, maybe. I mean, this could just be the luckiest coincidence of all that we, we have, have the a same perfect overlap, <laughs> or, or that, or that we're willing to replace. Like we can have. It'll be like a jury selection process. Yeah. We go through, and I go, this guy. I think yeah. he's out. But here's who I'd like to replace him. But with. his wife's in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be arranging some marriages. Look, yeah. have you read any books about how cults work? <laughs> yeah, I just want to be a guru. I'm, get, I'm getting to that age now where I think that's You my, could, though. You could. You've got a little of that going. I like listening yeah. to your podcast, and it's obvious to me oh, that you've got some thanks. followers. It's just... Yeah. Um, it's taken off recently. I don't know what happened. Has it? You're boosted up? Yeah. What do you credit it with? I don't know. I have no idea. You do no more idea. of the, I've noticed that you sprinkle in more of the uh, you um, doing your thing, uh, you know, and espousing oh, the, your like beliefs. The Roma, the, yeah, yeah, the separate yeah. ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know, because I, I sort of thought when I got to L.A. and I started having, you know, more big big name people on, like you and Neil and Rogan and, you know, that kind of like thing. I'm so, that. that was, you did that on purpose, right? It really made me feel good. Did it feel good yeah. to be in that crowd? Yeah. 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 Well, you are. You're a big name guy, man. I, well, you're the only, sweet I know two people who've been on The Tonight Show. Have you been on The Tonight Show? Right? I have. Yeah. I know you've been on Letterman like a million times, but you and my friend Stanley Krippner, who was on in like 1968 with Johnny and, you know, like Burt wow. Reynolds and something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty big time. Yeah. You doing a lot of TV these days? No, I haven't. Uh, since Letterman retired, I haven't kind of got a new TV show. I'm sort of, I would love to do that, but I kind of feel like it's one of those things where it has to kind of 
happen. I, I'm not out there trying to pursue that. Do you have an agent? I do. I have an agent. They're sort of. <laughs> they all they all tell you that they're the guy who's dialing the phone and beating uh-huh. the bushes, but they're yeah, not. They're yeah. the guy who's waiting for the phone to ring. Right. And you know they look at the bush every once in a while to see if there's anything in there. Yeah. There could be something dangerous in there. Yeah, exactly. You bet. You don't want yeah. to beat that bush too much. Yeah. Or you kill the bush. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about agents. I mean, I got so frustrated with this this whole book situation that, well, I don't I don't want to get into. You know, we don't want to talk about the book. It's coming out. It's going to be it, great. It's <laughs> coming soon. Coming soon. But yeah, no, the whole the whole entertainment infrastructure, whether it's books or or movies or TV or whatever, is just so frustrating to deal. It's with. tricky, right? Because you want to kind of focus on doing the thing that you want to do, writing the thing that you want to write, but yeah. then you're involved with the people who are trying to sell the thing that you want to do. That's the great thing about the, just to kind of circle yeah, back to what yeah. we were just talking about is you're saying more people are listening to your podcast and you can't figure out why. And it's probably just because you're doing more of the things that you want to do. And in a high-profile way, you know. Who knows? Know. Who knows? But it, it's interesting to see how, like, what resonates and what doesn't. Like, I don't remember what episode it was, but I, I had an episode that I was like, "Yeah, I don't know if I really want to release that one. I don't think it was really that interesting." And so I sort of sat on it for a few months, and then I ran dry. Like, I didn't have anything in the pipeline. I was like, "Oh fuck, I better throw that one up," you know. And then, like, people loved it. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, and, and this gets back to what we were talking about earlier. I think it might have been before we turned on the mics. We were talking about how it's really hard to listen to someone else tell you that you don't really know where you are right now. You know what I mean? Like, in other words... To give you that, uh, that outside frame of reference. Of like, you, hey, can't, you can't really yeah. trust your own instincts exactly. about what's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what an editor does. I mean, that's what I'm struggling with with my editor right now, right? Where he says, you know, you sound like you've lost your mind in this on this page. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just being passionate. That's passion. That's not that's not insanity. And he's like, ah, sorry, from outside, you sound like a lunatic. But you did right now when you were doing it, you did kind of act more crazy, which shows me that you respect <laughs> this guy's opinion. Uh, no, that that's what passion looks like. Oh, that's what it, it does look like a crazy person. That's what passion looks like a crazy person. Passion looks that's crazy. Your, of course takeaway. it does. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's energy there. So the next time someone tells you to calm down, kiss them right on the mouth. <laughs> With tongue. Lots of tongue. Goes without saying, but yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Why is that called a French kiss? I don't know. I don't know. I had always, well, this is, this is the kind of idle speculation that podcasts are known for. <laughs> it's like, this hey, is why we two, don't charge for two this. Two guys who don't know what they're talking about, you're in the right place. Um, yeah, I had always, I always thought because French people were known for being romantic and that's this, you know, that's the more, Uh-oh. that's the more like, hey, this is how they do it in France. Here, we've been in America, yeah. we've been doing this dry kissing all this time and then some French guy comes over and goes, that's not, there's another level you could be taking it. Do you remember Pepe Le Pew? Yeah, the rapist. The rapist cat. <laughs> he wasn't a rapist. He was, was he a just, cat or a skunk? He's he a was skunk, a skunk right? who thought he was a cat. And, and so he was, he was always trying to seduce the cats, but they would like, oh, get away from me because he smelled bad. But he didn't understand mm-hmm. why. And he didn't really care. He it's was, racist and it's also anti-French, right? The French people well, are smelly. Well, how is it racist? 
And there's no race involved there. Well, cats and skunks together, that's not right. <laughs> they're different races. I don't know. I meant to say sexist, but uh, yeah, I think. Well, but it isn't even. They sexist. are different. They're different species because it's making fun of men. But it's not. It's not making fun of women. So it's. I mean, unless it's, and it's only making fun of French men. So I think it is. Is francophilic. Well, is it a satire or is it? it because it's sexist. Because the cat. It's, ha ha ha! Isn't it funny that this cat is trying to force himself? Skunk. Or the skunk is trying to force himself. This male is trying to force himself on these females. But That's he fails. Sex. But he fails. So he never he never rapes a cat. As I recall, there's I, never. Look, I'm a no scene. attorney, but I feel like in your rape trial, that's going to be a tricky defense. Like he didn't really succeed. <laughs> well, you can't call him a rapist if he'd never raped anyone. Well, attempted attempted rape, I think, is still I, a crime. Uh, well, I think it might be. I'm no lawyer, but I'm on there, solid ground here. There might, but I don't think it was attempted rape. I think we'd have to. Uh, we should do a. A special podcast viewing Pepe Le Pew episodes. It's a great. It would be like a director's cut. What he was doing will get you thrown out of most universities. Oh yeah, in the United States these days, sure. Yeah, because yeah. he was he, he. There were inappropriate comments. I think. Mm. Yeah, so you might whatever that is, but that's not rape, you know. Saying ooh la la a little too enthusiastically. Right. That's just French. <laughs> I love how French people actually do say ooh la la. Do they? Yeah. Like, how do you say that without a sense of irony? Well, they don't know what we're saying. This is the this is kind of the beauty and the terrible thing about French people is uh-huh. they do not care what we think of them. Right. Well, Americans say we're number one without a sense of irony, which is pretty amazing. You know, they do that chant mm-hmm. or USA. What a dumbass well, chant that is. For a long is. time, we were pretty awesome. Were we? I give us credit for that. After World War II. Yeah. Yeah, that's why they made fun of him, because the French didn't uh, bathe. Yeah, that's why, yeah. 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 Naughty. Those naughty French people. And their cheese. Who, who, how are you going to take a bath that's delicious. if you're eating that? Some of that cheese, though, that smells like some kind of terrible... It's like the part of the cow that you want. Good. Yeah, it's so good. Well, I remember a story after World War II... Uh, I don't remember where I read this story, but they were um, right right at the end of World War II. There were American squadrons going around France, like mopping up operations, like finding little pockets of Nazis who were still hiding out, you know, mm-hmm. chalets or whatever. And they they were coming through the mountains, and I think this was in the Pyrenees, and <clears throat> they. Um, they came to this cave, and they they this horrible stench. And they figured that's where they were throwing bodies, you know, because they were finding dead bodies all over the place. So they had flamethrowers and they just blasted out the inside of this cave to, like, dispose. Mm-hmm. And then they went down into the village and um, they said, like, hey, you know, we know about that cave. Don't worry, we took care of it. And they're like, what do you mean you took care of it? And like, well, the bodies. And this is the village of Grayer, right? Right. So, <laughs> so they had all their cheese. The year the river of hot cheese comes flowing <laughs> fondue. down. Fondue. Yeah. The invention of fondue. <laughs> It was an American invention. They run up the hill with their bread to dip it into the... <laughs> the cheese streaming down the mountainside, yeah. You've been to France? I have been to France, yeah. It was when our daughter was young. Belinda's, my wife's father married a woman who was English-French. Mm. And so they would commute back and forth from Paris to New Zealand. <clears throat> right. Six months in each. 
Wow. And so we, we did That's before they moved to New Zealand permanently. We, we went and visited them in Paris. Right. It was great. Right. Yeah, I really like France. I'm, um, I'm a big fan. I'm not a huge fan of... I, well, I don't know. I was standing in line waiting to see a James Bond movie in Paris mm-hmm. a long time ago. I was visiting my friend who lives there. And we're talking. It was an original version in English, right? Standing in line waiting to get in, and we're talking like you and I are talking right now. And uh, the people in front of us turned around and said something to my friend in French. And he looked sort of crestfallen. And he looked at me like, what? And I said, what did they say? He said, well, they asked us to stop speaking English because it's bothering them. <laughs> I was like, man. Really? Except I know so many Americans who are uncomfortable with other people speaking foreign languages. What? Because they think that they're talking about them. Oh. This obviously they didn't think that because they knew. Oh, this this is another another distraction. Yeah. No, you don't have to hang it up. I don't. All right, we're back. I just pick it up and hang it up. It's never, that phone is the house phone that we have because we thought we had to have a landline. So... There's an emergency 911, but now your cell phone can 911 you out of any situation. But we still mm. have it because the stupid cable company insists that, oh, we, we give you the, the three pack of the, you yeah. get your cable TV, you get your right. internet, and you get your phone. And I just said to them, the, the last time I talked to them about their rate, it's like, those are the same thing. Right. Those are not three different things anymore. <laughs> those are one thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you still get it. So that, those are all sales calls? It, yeah, it can sometimes be someone from New Zealand who's calling, but <laughs> hardly ever. And you just really pumped them out, hardly man. Ever. No, they don't care. They're used to it. They're used to it. Yeah, they should know better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, France. I love French. I have French villages. You know, I'm going to go. There's the Dordogne, which is where Lascaux is, where there are all these prehistoric cave sites. Oh, did you say that you've been in one of those? Caves? I've been in a bunch of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. I went again this year with uh, my buddy Justin. He came over, and we went up to uh, Cantabria and Asturias and visited some. Yeah, well, that was his first trip to Europe, so that was pretty wild for him. Pretty first amazing, time out of the right? U.S. Because people don't get to go in those caves, do they? A lot of them are. Well, in Spain, a bunch of them are still open. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I mean, I went to Lascaux, which is closed. You need to have an invitation from the French government to visit that. And I was lucky enough to go because of my buddy Stanley, who was on The Tonight Show in 1968. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was on with the amazing Kreskin. You remember him? Yes. So Stanley was the scientist who was there to monitor Kreskin's performance and see if there were ways that he was tricking you know, what, what kind of techniques he was doing. I love that that was back in the day. I guess the Penn and Teller is still doing that, debunking people. And, yeah. And, you know, like, yeah. is Kreskin really And the Amazing magic? Randy. The Amazing Randy is great. There's a great documentary about the Amazing Randy. Yeah. Well, he's a friend of Stanley's. I always joke with Stanley. He's, his Rolodex contains three or four people under the Amazing. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, he's friends with... Kreskin and Randy and I don't know some other amazing this or that. I only know the amazing Jonathan, uh, Jonathan comedian. Oh. Amazing Jonathan. Is he amazing? He's a comedy magician. He just retired because he's got some degenerative something going on, mm. but so funny. It was like rock and roll punk kind of magic. You know, yeah. he'd do the swallow the razor blades and we'd pull them out to just be blood. 
all over the place. <laughs> like tricks gone wrong. And he would, and he would, but he would act like it was perfectly normal. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> that's, that's a good concept. Yeah. Did you know Bill Hicks? Uh, I knew him a little bit. Not, not a lot. I knew him a little bit. What did he die from? Pancreatic oh, uh, cancer, I think, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's, that's the one that gets you to, fast. Yeah, that's the bad one. Or it's a good one because you only have a couple months. I think it's a quick yeah. departure. You get to say goodbye. Yeah, it's not protracted. But you don't linger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I loved his bit where he talks about uh, people who kill themselves on acid because they think they can fly and they jump out of windows. And he's like, "Look, if you're tripping and you think you can fly, try taking off from the street first. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but this is not, to, not to circle back again to the microdoses. You'll never again, get airborne. This is why you, you don't want to microdose because you're taking the smallest amount. So you may think that you're not really on acid, and even though you know, start off on the ground. You go, well, I'm not high. I, I'll jump out the window. I'm not I'm high. The, this goes for even if you're not on drugs. If you're gonna fly, start off off the ground. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. In my dreams, do you fly in your dreams? Sometimes. It's been a while yeah. since I flew in my dreams. Too damn long. I usually fly kind of laying on my back, just kind of rocketing feet first around. Feet first? Yeah, I'll go feet first. That's interesting. I've never heard of anyone going feet first. I wonder what that means. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get up and float. But, but you I'm can't never... see. How do you see where you're going? So you're looking up at the sky and you're, you're buzzing of... around? Well, maybe it's more like an angle, like, like when you're sitting in a car, kind of an angle. Wow. Feet first. I thought everyone flew like, like a bird, head first. You're going feet first. No, and sometimes I'll just levitate in a standing position. I think that position. means you're, you're actually homosexual, man. Do you know? I think that's what Freud said. It could be. At this age, it would be a real surprise. But this is why <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, you hear about rock stars like Mick Jagger has had a gay experience because it's like, you're so famous and you've had sex with all the attractive What's ladies. Left. You know all yeah. of the ways that that can happen. I think that's why they do like, that autoerotic asphyxiation thing. It's like, it's, you know, what's the next level? Mm. Yeah, I guess so. That just seemed, but that's a masturbating, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not, if you were doing that with someone, they could go, oh, it's time to loosen up on uh, Chris's yeah. neck restraint. You know, he <laughs> uh, seems like he's not moving around anymore. He's not enjoying it. It was just a couple of seconds ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I guess you can do it with a partner, right? Yeah, so, but nobody dies doing that because you got a you got a safety buddy. Or they do, and then you got a lot of explaining to do. Mm. That's an awkward situation. Oh, I've got a friend who's a psychologist who was telling me that uh, that that there was some kind of they. This is another one of those they say there was some kind of rumor things, but that uh, that a significant amount of what are you know written in the coroner's reports as um, suicides were actually autoerotic asphyxiation gone wrong. Really? Well, because it's in everybody's... The family kind of, It's in the family's it. sort of interest. And, right. you know, what's, what's the difference? The guy's, the guy's dead. Don't try this at home, kids. Don't. It's a bad... Don't do meth. I don't think do meth, right? I, I'm, I'm, I just feel Although, like... Although, you know, meth and Adderall are the same thing. Well, don't do Adderall then either, but... Uh, yeah. But Adderall's prescribed. It's amazing. Well, the prescribed drugs, I mean, I feel like some of the prescribed drugs don't do, right? Don't do right? statins. I don't think yeah. don't, don't, don't. Well, and, and I read today that more people are dying from, what is it? More people are dying from uh, 
from opioid, legal opioids, painkillers essentially, than from guns in the U.S. Well, because because of the because of the, um, the what is it oxycotton kind of thing? They're they're right. getting people addicted to this stuff right. and for pain right. management, and it's not yeah. a good idea. Yeah. See, I think you were getting back to your question earlier. Like, what are we going to look back on and, and be amazed at? I, I think we're going to be amazed at our reluctance to look at the root causes of things and our tolerance for this symptomatic approach. Well, in our inability to kind of recognize that a lot, a lot of medication, the, the, what it's trying to do is to get your body back on track so that your immune system can take over and solve this problem for you. A lot of medication, that's the whole, the whole idea of it is it's just pushing you back to get your body to, to take care of it. So if all that is true and if the placebo effect is true, then why aren't we looking into more kind of self-hypnosis and why are we so down the road of, yeah, the answer is you need more chemicals. Right, right. You know? Well, money. It's all money. It is money. There's this, I don't know if you and I have spoken about this, but there's a book called uh, Lives of a Cell, which was written in the 70s, I think. It, it was a National Book Award winner. It's a really interesting book. Lewis Thomas, who was an oncologist in um, Cedar sinai I think, in, in New York. And he wrote it at the end of his career. He'd been like the head of oncology in this huge cancer center, very distinguished scientist, doctor. And um, <clears throat> I remember he, he, the cover of the book is, is the earth as a cell. So you see the earth with the membrane and all that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, is around that, you know, Gaia, you know, that whole, that sort of hippie notion. Well, that's the, that the, that's the acid thing. That we're all yeah. part of some big thing. We're yeah. all, yeah. Anyway, so to your point, he, there's an essay in there where he says um, every culture around the world has a folk uh, treatment for warts, right? So like in uh, Poland, you rub the wart with a clove of garlic mm-hmm. and then you bury it under a full moon in the garden or whatever. And in, in uh, Ireland, you know, you cut a potato in half and you rub the wart with one half and the other half, you, you know, I don't know why. But anyway, everybody's got these little ritualistic things, mm-hmm. right? And what's interesting about them is they're all different. Obviously, it's all a placebo kind of thing, but they all work. So... It's really strange because from the from the perspective of an ecologist, and everyone dismisses this as, you know, whatever, folk thing, hypnosis, whatever. But from the point of view of an oncologist, what's happening there? Somehow the body is distinguishing the wart tissue from the surrounding tissue. It's eliminating the wart tissue without damaging the surrounding tissue. So we have the capacity within us, demonstrated time and time again, to distinguish tissue that we want to eliminate from tissue that is, is not harmful and to eliminate the stuff that we want to eliminate and not eliminate, not hurt the other, the surrounding tissue. And yet there's no research being done to train that capacity for tumors. Right. Because Instead, there's no money in it. we're poisoning right? ourselves. We're radiating ourselves. We're doing all this crazy shit when there's a very obvious path. But this, so this, this goes back though to this, we're living in a fact-free world. So when you're faced with with warts, you can afford to right. go down the path of hypnosis or whatever. And I can't remember if it was a radio lab or somewhere else where I was listening to uh, to um, a story about warts where they saw they used hypnosis to to eliminate this kind of super severe wart issue. But so if you come down with some problem that is life, you know, you've got cancer, 
you know, I, I would imagine that you pursue every avenue that you can. You know, you irradiate it, you try to But a to lot cut of them out, are contradictory. You do a vegan diet, you, yeah. Yeah, because you might, you know, you might, there are some things where your doctor's going to say, don't do that. My uncle right now has stage four cancer. And uh, it's a very interesting case because he's like the only person who has ever had this form of cancer over 10 years of age. And he's in his 70s. So he's getting studied by all these people. They're trying to figure out how, why would he have it when it mm -hmm. only strikes kids and all this. Um, but anyway, you know, there's this Rick Simpson oil, which is a, a very uh, high concentration of uh, CBD and THCs uh, huh. from marijuana. Yeah, yeah. And it's got anti-tumor effects that are very strong. So he was taking it and he's getting tested like every week. And while I got him some, and while he was taking it, his, his test results were much, much better. And then he stopped taking it because he was tired of being stoned all the time and it was too strong for him. And then his test results like went, got bad again. And so, it, but, you know, and I was talking to this other guy in Holland who I had him on the podcast, um, Simon, who's a very interesting dude. He's like a marijuana cultivator expert. He, he, um, developed some of the most famous strains of marijuana in the world. That, mm -hmm. But he got into it because he was into falconing. And he went to Zimbabwe to learn how to be a falconer. And there was some marijuana on this farm he was staying at. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. And he learned about the, he's a biologist too. So he ended up, anyway, very interesting cat. But he fell off this ladder, like 50 feet up, landed on his back, broke pretty much every bone in his torso. And uh, luckily, there's a field right next to his house, and his friend that he was with didn't try to move him. Called the uh, they flew in a helicopter, got him, you know, helivacked him out of there, and uh, thought he was going to die for a few weeks, but he survived it. And he he had his friend bringing him um, marijuana oil in the hospital, and he had a miraculous recovery. And he said, "It's, it's amazing." He was saying like. You know, the doctors were standing around him just saying, this is, we've never seen anyone recover like this. This is just incredible. And he said, well, it's because I've been taking this high concentration of, you know, marijuana, THC, and this particular strain that I know has these effects and da, 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 anti-inflammatory anti effects and so on. And he's like, I've got all the research for you if you'd like to read about this. And they were like, no, no, thanks. But isn't it amazing at this recovery? Like, that? Yeah. they just totally dismiss it. And this guy's a fucking PhD biologist who is the subject. They're watching this happen and they don't want to see it. It's, it's amazing. Well, there's a couple of things that, that can be going on then. But, but it sounds like the biggest one is just that they're so invested in their worldview that they can't. Yeah. That, that's too outside for them to tolerate it. I read Mark Twain, a great Mark Twain quote. He said, it's easier to fool people than it is to convince them they've been fooled. Wow. True, right? Isn't it? Because to admit you've been fooled gets back to what we were saying earlier. It admits like someone else is telling you what you think is real. You know, please listen to me. It's not. And there's something humiliating in that. There's a, there's a, you know, a loss of control, a loss of self-esteem. You know, it takes some balls to we have this, accept uh, that. So I go to New Orleans every year with this group of like-minded people who enjoy the music and the food and of course there's some drinking and substance stuff going on and one of the silly rules that we have for ourselves among other things that if you see someone about to do something stupid or 
make a mistake or have another drink when they shouldn't, what you say to them is, are you sure you know what you're doing? And if anyone asks you if you're sure you know what you're doing, you have to really time out mm. yourself. That's your safe word. And think about, am I really sure that I know what I'm doing? But are you ever sure you know what you're doing? No, but I've been about to wake up to bang on the window of a friend who I knew was in there with a girl to kind of tease him. And <laughs> his brother goes, are you sure you know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, you're right. I, I should let this. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the answer to that is always no, I think. Well, right, but that's a good thing. I, yeah. And, and I, so I've been recently, I, I know we got to go to lunch, right? Because your parking is... Well, I, I've got the timer set. Um, yeah. Well, i got to pick my daughter up in, a, in an hour and oh, ten. Oh, i got so. five minutes, okay. Yeah. So we'll, so, so so we'll head down there. Yeah. Um, and now I've even forgotten what I was... Oh, so just this is the... I, it's unbelievable to me that we've been talking this long because without, and only mentioned Trump one time. Yeah, I'm trying not to. I'm really trying not to, yeah. too. But I've been really trying to ask myself about him. Are you sure you understand what he's doing? Because I have to say that while on the surface of it, it seems like he's making terrible choices and he's doing some completely wrong things. It, on the other hand, He's got this sort of drunk monkey style that it, you, it's frustrating when he calls the president, a, a, you know, an illegitimate born in another country. But then scoreboard, he is the president now. And it seems stupid that he's talking to Taiwan on the phone. But even the Chinese have got to be saying to themselves, how do we deal with this guy? Because he's not he's not rational. You know, it's like one of the advantages the disadvantage of giving a monkey a gun is you've got to figure out what the monkey wants. But as, long, as soon as you know that the monkey is on your side, then it's someone else's problem. No, you've got to figure out what the monkey wants. <laughs> yeah, and we have armed a monkey, haven't we? Yeah, I, I saw this comic. I was on this cruise ship recently, this, this bizarre cruise experience I had. But uh, there was a comic uh, there. He's, he's based here in L.A. I forget his name. He's Muslim. Um, anyway, he was in his bit. He said, the thing about Trump is, and I would never say this to my family, but the thing is like every third thing he says, I agree with. And that's what freaks me out. You know, it's like Mexicans are rapists. You know, women should just put up with sexual abuse and Washington is broken. It's like, fuck, man. <laughs> fuck. I hate agreeing with this guy, even if it's only, you know, yeah. one out of every three things. I, I just, I can't be sure it, on the surface, it seems like this is going to be the toughest four years of my life. Yeah. But I can't really be sure. Yeah. I can't. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Well, the way I see it is that it's a coup d'etat of the, you know, corp, corporate power has now taken over human power and getting back to the whole mm. superorganism thing, right? I mean, I think it's been corporate power already was in charge, but they had puppets. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, yeah, we don't even really need the puppets anymore. Just put the Exxon guy in charge of State Department and, you know, put the oil guys in, in charge of the, you know, homeland, uh, whatever it's called. The, the, you know, they're selling. They just sold the only national forest in, in Ohio yeah. to frackers for six thousand dollars. Hey, I'll buy a national fucking forest for six thousand dollars. Well, that's the other thing is 
for cheap. For Put it cheap. on the visa. We should be pissed about this just because we're not getting the what it's worth. Well, it's we like, haven't hey, forever. No, I the know. The mining I and know. the timber and all that shit. It's just incredible. But just because we're yeah. trying to wrap up. Yeah. So let me just say what I think you said. So wrapping up with it a wine. It turns out we didn't know who the queen insect was. Right. And now we do. It's Trump. He's the queen. He's the queen. <laughs> yeah. And he's honey colored. He is honey colored. Yeah. Yeah. Pollen, yeah. Well, this has been fun. I think it's been fun, right? That wasn't, I was hoping for a better, I mean, this is your podcast too. So what do you like to do at the end? At the end of the podcast? Yeah. Uh, oh, I have a little canned thing I stick on there that says, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It's canned, so you don't do a new one every time now? No, You no. just do an opening and then that's it. Yeah, the opening's new, but the, uh, the ending is, is uh, pre-recorded where I remind people where they can buy t-shirts and, mm. uh, and I play the Carsey Blanton song. That's the, a nice song. Yeah. That's a nice song. You're going to die one day. That's, my, that's, that's a great thing to say in a conversation where <laughs> the other person is just freaking the fuck out. As soon as they kind of calm down right. enough for it to be your turn, you say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but we're all going to die someday. Yeah. And that's a good kind of... Bring them down. Well, you just got to remind yourself, like, this is all... Yeah. This is, we're all doing this. We're doing None this for this fun, matters. right? We're trying to t- be nice to each other yeah. and enjoy ourselves on our short time. You're right. Our short time here. It's and all just for fun. You're, I don't know if I've told you, one of my favorite quotes is this uh, football coach. People have heard me say this a million times. I love this. There's this football coach, and they're interviewing him, and they say, like, what's the key to being a great coach? And he said, well, you have to be smart enough to really understand the game but not smart enough to recognize how little it all matters. <laughs> right. You yeah, you don't want to stop doing things. You want to be smart enough to kind of feel like you got an yeah. idea. This is, now I got it figured out. That's, that's life, right? That you're constantly like, okay, that was, I get, that was, I was wrong. Now I know what I'm doing. But I, I, like, I like the feeling of sort of being on that edge. It's like, okay, I know how to do this. But it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like, I know how to make money, but money doesn't matter. Yeah, you I know how to get laid a lot. That doesn't really matter. Like, nothing really matters. You get too far into it, then you get really bummed out because then life is meaningless and, and you're too far away from the fun oh, of being good at things. That means my parking's about to go. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't your, your yard guy. Yeah, what a, way to, what a way to wrap it up. I'm sorry, everybody, but we're out of time. Yeah. The city of Santa Monica insists that we wrap this up. Yeah. And uh, Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, what a thanks, pleasure. Thanks Always for having pleasure. me in the kitchen. I like a nice high five at the end. Oh, all right. Yeah. High five it. All right. Well, wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? Hey, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. If I don't get back to you before then, I'll see you in Tacoma for New Year's Eve. Uh, But go online and get your tickets now because it's going to be crowded at the airport. And uh, we're going to have a good time. It's a good comedy show is a good way to do New Year's Eve uh, because uh, you laugh, you enjoy yourself. You set the tone for the coming year. 
We're going to be doing a lot of laughing in 2017. Trust me on this. Less laughing, more laughing. Oh, I said it wrong. More laughing, less crying. Don't forget to don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. Do not give up. Don't give up. Don't forget. Don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. And more laughing, less crying, 2017. That's what we're doing. Get on board or uh, or don't. I mean, if you want to, if crying's your thing, then live it up. I don't get it. But, uh, but if that's how you enjoy yourself, by crying, how, how could that be? How could that be true? All right, I don't know. I don't know. I got to read up. I'm going to go on our internet, our internet and look that up. 